Welcome to Exotic Pets. I'm Tracy Hotchner, whom you may know as the dog and cat lady, but I'm wearing a different hat here. With the brilliant assistance of my co-host, Dr. Doug Mater, the world-renowned veterinarian specializing in exotic animals, we're here to celebrate all the other pets that share people's lives. This show is for people interested in pets that slither, hop, creep, fly, or swim. From bunnies to iguanas, parrots to ferrets, snakes to tortoises. Dr. Doug is going to teach us the physical requirements of these exotic pets and how to manage the often challenging environments and correct diets essential to their welfare. Dr. Doug Mater is the author of The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. He is recognized worldwide as a veterinary specialist on exotics and is the author of four major veterinary textbooks on reptiles and amphibians. I hope you'll have as much fun listening to our conversations as we have had. We are proud to have ZooMed Laboratories as the sponsor of Exotic Pets. ZooMed has earned its reputation as the number one reptile company in the world, from simple beginnings 45 years ago as a passion project for one man, Gary Bagnall, who still runs it. ZooMed provides supplies and information for every imaginable exotic pet, particularly renowned as the world's expert on UVB and heat lighting. ZooMed manufactures all their reptile supplies, accessories, and tools, which they test on their own collection of animals, which surround everyone at headquarters. Dr. Doug, tongue flicking in snakes. I, I think we touched on it briefly when discussing a larger topic about snakes. And you said, oh, yes, it's very specific. And I was thinking that when snakes flick their tongues, it's almost the, the thing that makes them most exotic or maybe even most scary to people who find reptiles scary, that kind of flicking tongue. Is it a pretty important part of what snakes do? It is, Tracy. Um it, the tongue flicking is is part of their senses. You know how we have uh, vision, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Yes. Um, well, the tongue flicking is one of the senses that a snake has. And I'm just going to talk about snakes, but I also want to point out to the listeners that there are certain lizard species that are known as what's called snake neck lizards because they have really long necks and they oh. actually have a pointed nose and then they have a forked tongue just like a snake and hence the name snake neck lizard. Um, some lizards have, well actually lizards are, that's another topic for another show. Some lizards have a fleshy tongue like a human. Some of them have really? that long protrusible tongue like the chameleon. But the snake neck lizards, an example of that would be the monitor lizards like a Komodo dragon. Okay. And then all the snakes have these long tongues that have a forked tip on them and the tip actually comes to two very pointy little um, appendages at the end of the tongue and each one of them has its own muscle in it and each one of them has its own sense organ in it Whoa. and when a tongue when a snake flicks its tongue what it's doing is it's picking up scent articles in the air and each tip of the tongue there's a left tip and a right tip pick up different scent articles so let's say there's uh, a mouse on the left side of the snake, and then maybe um, a large cat on the right side of the snake. Well, the mouse is a prey species, so the left side of the tongue is picking up the scent, the scent from the prey species, and the right side of the tongue is picking up the scent from the large cat. Now, when the tongue flicks back into the mouth, what it does is it rotates up and deposits the two tips into two little teeny holes in the roof of the mouth which would be analogous to our hard palate or the, the roof of our okay. mouth. 
And these holes, the fancy name is called the vomeronasal organ. It's also sometimes your listener may see it listed as the Jacobson's organ. Yes. And those are sensory pits, and there's a left and a right. And so the left tip of the tongue goes into the left pit, the right tip of the tongue goes into the right pit, and then it has separate sensation that goes to the brain. So the brain says, oh my gosh, there's a mouse on my left, and there's a cat on the right. Now that cat may want to eat me, so I don't want to go to the right, and I'm hungry, so I'm going to go to the left. Um, so that's one of the ways that they can actually not only tell what's in the environment, but they can tell direction too. I, I'm completely astounded when, when we had, I first mentioned the flicking tongue, I just thought, you know, that's like the thing that makes cat, makes a, I don't know, a reptile look to someone like I'm coming to get you, but that's not what it's doing at all. But the idea that it has tips with their own entire little brain, if you will, their whole little mechanism sensory system that then goes into a hole that goes into the brain. And I mean, this is much more exotic than anything Bill Gates ever invented. I mean, come <laughs> yeah, on. Nature is amazing. You know, it really it's is. It's incredible. It really is. Now, when you were first studying snakes, and obviously there's much more to be said about this, um, as a, I guess, a beginning vet, a young vet, or maybe later in your veterinary career, you became more of the, oh, I've got to know more about snakes guy. How did you learn about this? Was there dissection? Were there just diagrams? How did how did you learn about, because I'm sure there have been times, I don't know, maybe not, that you had to do something in a veterinary capacity inside the snake's mouth? Or is that like, no, you don't go there? Well, I've always been a, an extremely avid reader, and I encourage your listeners to do the same. Uh, it's so easy to pick up your smartphone now and and dink around with email and Instagram and things like that. But, you know, instead of taking that time and, and doing, accomplishing nothing, Thank uh, you, you. Know, do some reading, you know, yeah, but when you but, but Doug, just, to, just to interrupt. Yeah. We now have the entire universe of knowledge in our hand at any time. Oh, I know. I know. And but yes, it's, the, the, and it's, it's like it's, TV. It's, some is good as some is bad. So yeah, but it's all extraordinary. But when you were a veterinary student, there was no such thing. Oh, I no. mean, there was a library, and maybe there was some little instructional film. I don't know. How did you learn? I just read. I mean, I picked up every book I could get, and wow. I remember going to the library even back in like elementary school, and I every book that I could find on snakes and lizards and frogs, I would read them and and read them and read them and memorize them. That's um, so cool. And then, of course, over the years. The reading gets more involved and the science gets more uh, advanced, and so I try to keep up with it. But it's um, you know, it's just so much information out there at our fingertips, and especially like you said, nowadays you don't have to go to the library; you can just grab your smartphone and you can look it up. So it's well worthwhile. Um, but I wanted to bring bring out a couple other important things about the snake tongue and the flicking. We a few weeks ago we talked about snakes as pets and how they recognize owners. Yes. And one of the ways that they recognize their people, their owners, is by tongue flicking. And if you'll you'll if you ever get a chance to watch somebody holding a snake, when they pick the snake up, the snake will tongue flick and touch the skin of the person holding them. And they can sense the temperature of the person, they can sense the odor of the person, the oils on the person, the chemicals that the person is, em is emitting. All that can be picked up by the sensitive, sensitive tongue. And that's how it's one of the ways a snake can differentiate different people. And I'm always amazed when I watch snakes and I watch their owners because oftentimes snakes, when they're being held by their owners, they're calm, they're gentle. Right. And there's very little tongue flicking because once they've done the initial tongue flicking and identified the owner, they calm right down. 
if you pick up a, if you watch somebody that's a stranger to the snake, let's say the owner hands the snake to a friend and say, here, you want to hold my snake? Um, then the snake's tongue won't stop. It's just going constantly, constantly, constantly because it's trying to figure out who this person is, what they smell like, what their body odor is, and everything else, and you know, the body temperature. So that, that tongue is an amazing organ with, uh, presenting tons and tons of information to that snake's brain. Now, the other thing that's really important about that is every once in a while, they'll injure their tongue. And oh. I've seen cases where they've lost the entire tongue, and that makes it very difficult for them to find prey and to eat. They can still eat, but oftentimes they have a really hard time. I don't know, I, and I, don't, I should have this answer, but I don't. I don't know in the wild if they lose their tongue, if they would die. I would suspect they would have a very hard time finding prey. In captivity, I've seen many cases where a snake has lost its tongue, and the owners can train them to eat dead prey. And they do just fine because they don't have to go out hunting for it. Um, and then they'll also occasionally they'll injure just half of it. So like, you know, maybe one fork of the wow. fork tongue will get damaged. And it's interesting to watch these animals because they do tend to favor the healthy side of the tongue. So let's <laughs> say the left side of the tongue got injured, got burned, got bitten by a prey species or something. The snakes tend to favor in the direction of the right because that's the, sign that, that's the side that they're getting all their signals from. Otherwise, it's quite even. It's not like being a right-handed human or even some animals can be one-sided or one-pawed or the other. The snake is equally left and right if his tongue is intact? I would think so. I mean, that's a really good question for some PhD student. But, yeah, I would think so because they're sensing basically if, the, if you think of their tongue as kind of like a radar, it's able to sense 180 degrees, 90 degrees to the left, 90 degrees to the right. Wow. And it's interesting, too. The, the tongue is, is highly muscular. So you'll actually see the, t the tongue go out forward and then turn around to the left or turn around to the right. And they can flick up. They can flick down. So they can kind of directionally um, pick up sense from all sorts of different directions. So when it's you see that, organ. we shouldn't feel threatened. It's simply an information gatherer. It has no... That's exactly uh, what it is. It's, unless it's not you're a like bug. a lion roaring saying, stay What if away you're a me. bug? If you're a bug, d does that tongue ever go out to eat the bug, or is that not no. reptiles? Is that just no, lizards? No, oh, yeah, they do. The oh, frogs, lizards, chameleons, you know, they're the classic for shooting their tongue out like a sword and, and yeah. grabbing a fly. Yeah. Um, snakes don't do that. No, they don't eat with their tongue. They don't. So that's interesting, yeah, because there, there was that slow motion um, animal photography of, of a tongue going out really long and snatching, as you say, the fly and then whoop, back in the, down the hatch. So the snake does not gather any food that way. No. No, so they, you'll see them drink with their tongue. No kidding. Yeah, is that what they, is that how they drink? Um, they use the tongue to help pull the water into their mouth. Just like dogs and cats? Yeah, they'll, they'll take their whole face, their nose included, and they'll stick it in the water bowl, and then you'll see the tongue just go out and flick, 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 and that pulls the water in. That's pretty amazing. What it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I just have to share this. Yes. Um, you know, you've heard that old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but of you course. can't make it drink. Oh, yeah. Snakes, and I don't know why, um, you can take a snake over to a water bowl, and you can gently pick up its head, and then just kind of touch its nose to the water and it'll drink until it's full and then it'll crawl away and you can catch the snake, hold it, pet it, talk to it, walk back over to the water bowl, stick it back in the water bowl and it'll start drinking again. So unlike a horse, if you lead a snake to water, it will drink. <laughs> so in fact, it's just 
an automatic response to water. I got exactly. water, I got to drink it because you right. never know. I could live in a desert and this would be the last water, even though I just had a, a good glug. Well, that's, it, that's absolutely true. You look at a rattlesnake that lives out in uh, the Mojave, Mojave Desert. You yeah. know, it may be months and months and months before it sees free-standing water. So like cats in some way, which were basically desert animals and got their fluids from their prey, do snakes also get the fluids they need mostly from their prey? Yeah, the technical term is metabolic water. Oh, so they're interesting. able to absorb water from their prey species. And then they can actually recycle the water through their kidneys. They don't have a bladder like a dog and a cat or a person. So they store their urine in their colon, which is their large intestine. And the large intestine is this for the, the section of our gastrointestinal tract that reabsorbs water. So they basically urinate into their colon, and then the colon reabsorbs the water, and it just keeps recycling it over and over and over again. How brilliant. Like, they, like I guess some of these people that insist on having the world's smallest sailboat and sailing across the Atlantic. <coughs> I mean, is, isn't there something about drinking urine to survive, either on a desert island or if you're in a 12-foot boat in the Atlantic or something? I That's mean, a whole other subject. That's a whole other yes, subject. You can, you can drink it once, and it won't hurt you. If you drink it twice, it can cause some serious problems. Can I just say this is so cool that you know that? You just <laughs> seem to be the guy that would just know this stuff. I mean, you're, you're such an, a, a, an adventurer mountaineer as well as a, as a man who will swim with a crocodile. I, I love that you knew that. Yes, only drink your pee once, folks. A question about the, the sense of smell. So that, I never say it correctly, but that vaso organ that is in the snake, is that not very similar to the one that we humans have that, that we don't know too much about and don't have much access to? I ask this as a person who has anosmia. <laughs> developed anosmia from an accident in the back of the ambulance years ago in East Hampton when we were hit or hit somebody and we all were very badly banged up and I didn't know I'd lost my sense of smell. And by the time I'd been to an ENT and tried some uh, treatments, mostly of steroids, it became clear I would never have a sense of smell again. And I wonder if we could, I could learn something from snakes and get my sense of smell back somehow. Hmm, that's pretty interesting that, that how in the world did you do that? Lose your sense of smell in an accident? Well, because apparently if you have a head injury, this is what they said, if you have a terrible head infection, let's say, and maybe this could happen to a snake too, but it would, his whole way of living would then be impacted and you get a lot of swelling in the whole nasal passage that can cut off information going to that organ which is highly inaccessible and apparently behind a lot of skull. At least that's how it was described to me in totally lay terms. I'm not using any of the right words. But if the head injury involves the bones moving, it can shear the nerves that go there. And if the nerves nerves grow back, if they've simply been damaged or uh, been uh, infected, let's say, by an infection, and like a sinus infection, but if they're cut, they're cut forever. So you must have had a pretty bad head injury. At which I wasn't aware of. I only knew about the cracked ribs. I mean, there were... Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was, it was an enormously high-impact injury. And luckily, our patient, who was actually in pretty dire straits, was picked up by, uh, by Sag Harbor's 
ambulance, which then took him to the ambulance to the hospital. But then many of us needed to be transported. And oh no, I'm fine. You know, we were all like Marines. I'm fine. It was wow. it was a mess. But I'd love to well, smell again. Yeah, and I know there's long long COVID sufferers who I think never got their sense of smell back. I don't know. No, that's true. Yeah, the vomer nasal organ in humans is very similar um, anatomically to that in the snake. That's what the it sounded like. Yeah, the difference is that in the snake, there's actually an opening. If you look, if you open up a snake's mouth and look at their hard palate, which is the roof of their mouth, right. you can actually see the two openings. There's one on either side that opens directly into the vomeronasal organ so that so when the neat. tongue flicks, it takes the points of the tongue and pushes them up in the openings and makes contact with the vomeronasal organ. In humans, the organ is inside the nasal septum. And you can't see it. So if you open up your mouth and, and right. stand in front of a mirror and look in there, you're not going to see two holes at the top <laughs> of your mouth. So it's part of the olfactory system. It's actually called the accessory olfactory system in humans. And it's incorporated into the nasal septum. But it, it functions very similar. It's used to – it's a receptor for, for scents. That's why I asked because it sounded exactly like what had been described to me that we humans have. And from what the doctor said – now this was a number of years ago – we don't. We the humans don't know very much about that organ in humans because maybe of its inaccessibility. Is there anything that snakes have taught the rest of the world about the sense of smell and how it functions, or is it just too hard to study because you can't talk to the snake? Well, I think the big thing that the snakes have that humans don't have is that the snakes have the split tongue. Right. And so they're able to literally distinguish left and right by sense of smell, whereas you and I. Not quite so easy. I mean, I mean, our nose breathes in some fresh baked cookies, and you go, right. "Oh, fresh Yum. baked cookies in the room." Yeah. Then you, what do you, what do you do? You start looking around for the <laughs> oven, right? So it's not like your nose says, "Fresh baked cookies, okay, eighty-seven degrees to the right." Right, it right. You know, but the snake can do that. That's so snake, cool. The snake can. It's vectoring, and it's getting, let's say, eighty percent of the smell from the right fork of the tongue, and twenty percent of the smell from the left fork of the tongue. So its brain knows that. I need to look off to the right-hand side 80%, and that's how it finds its prey species. Believable. I mean, that is that is so much more sophisticated and refined and fine-tuned than some kind of computerized something, AI something, that someone could think up. And this is what these creatures have had for millennia. This is mm -hmm. how they have survived oh, yeah. from— Hundreds of millions of years. The Garden of Eden, so to speak, if there was such a thing. It's really quite amazing, and— I think it's just one of the, the many reasons that we'll continue to look into in the show to respect, admire, and be fascinated by reptiles instead of just go, oh, scary, or all reptiles are the same, because they so are not. And I just love what I can learn from you and, and can share with everyone else, Doug. It's, it's really, it certainly is exotic, but it's also humbling. It's quite it's quite marvelous. and Well, I appreciate you doing this because, you know, so oftentimes when I go give lectures, I'll bring a snake with me if, if I'm doing a lecture on snakes. And many, many people have never actually touched a snake. And I'll give my lecture and then I, I never force snakes on right. anybody because there are people that are truly afraid of them. Yes. It's called ophidiophobia. Um, but I say, listen, if you'd like to come up, I have a snake here and you're welcome to come up and look at it, touch it, take a picture of it. And it's amazing how many people that have never seen a snake before come up, touch one for the very first time. And they're like, oh my God, it's not slimy. It's not mean. It's really nice. That's and so cool. It's all education. It know? is. It all is. education. And to just, and understand the complexity 
the brilliant complexity of creatures that we just view as something slithering. There was a really good one in my woodpile the other day, and I thought, hello, I want to talk to you. I want to look at you. But he was gone. I really, not that I was ever scared of snakes, but I just have a new admiration for them. And I don't know. We'll, we'll talk on another show about is there any way that you find a snake in your garden that you could keep for a little while, like a day or two? And give it something to eat and watch it at all? Or is that just a complete no-no? Leave them in the garden. Uh, you know, you're talking to somebody who used to catch snakes and put them in our laundry basket when I was a kid. So I could, I, it's hard for me to tell people not to do okay, that. Okay, that's it. The next that's a great show. way to learn. But um, I, now that I'm older, I appreciate them in the wild. But, you know, hey, kids need to learn. And, and, and having an animal, if you're properly prepared for it, even grown-ups, um, and you take proper care of it, I Unless there are some state or local municipality laws that say you can't do it, it's hard for me to tell people not to, to do that. Another day, another show. Dr. Doug Mater, you're truly amazing. Thank you for everything you share My with pleasure, us Tracy. and Thank at you. vet conferences. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Exotic Pets, brought to you by the fine family of animal lovers at ZooMed Laboratories, where they make everything you could need to give your exotic its best possible life. Are you an experienced reptile snake breeder or gecko breeder, or are you looking to pick up your first pet bearded dragon? ZooMed is sure to have what you need so you can confidently care for your exotics. If you have a question for Dr. Doug to answer on the show, feel free to reach out to me on our contact page at tracyhotchnerpets.com, spelled T-R-A-C-I-E-H-O-T-C-H-N-E-R-Pets.com. Thanks for listening.